Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real great pleasure to have Robert Lacey on uh, the line today to talk about his new book, Pragmatic Conservatism, Edmund Burke and His American Heirs, published by Palgrave Macmillan. Bob, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, such a, such a pleasure to have read which, a book which I imagine when you began it, it didn't uh, have the timeliness uh, that it ultimately has had, which we'll talk about. But before that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, sure, uh, where you are now, and what you've done in the past. Well, I teach at Iona College, which is in uh, New Rochelle, New York. It's a suburb of the city. Um, I've been teaching there for 10 years, and uh, this is my second book, my first book, which was based on my dissertation, is called American Pragmatism and Democratic Faith, uh, which is a study of the connection between uh, pragmatism, that the school of philosophy, and participatory democratic thought in the 20th century. Um, and in this new book, in some ways, is a, um, in some ways builds on that. Um, uh, it, it occurred to me uh, when I was teaching Edmund Burke uh, at Iona, uh, to honor students that there is something very pragmatic about Burke, the, the, um, the father of conservatism. And in a way, he was a proto-pragmatist. And so that's in part why I decided to call his uh, brand of conservatism pragmatic conservatism. And, and, and that's why I, um, I developed such an interest uh, in his mode of thought. Yeah, that's great. And obviously, it's become very timely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on, on some level... Every conservative claims to be a Burkean. Yes. Um, but is it right to say that many don't know exactly what that means? Um, how do you see the, the current view of Edmund Burke compared to your um, uh, reading, your interpretation? What's, what's the, the conflict here between what we think of as conservatism or movement conservatism and, and your reading of the kind of father of conservatism? Sure. Um, well, I think that a lot of conservative intellectuals um, will claim uh, that they are descendants of Burke um, in a way they have to, because if they're going to accept the moniker of conservatism, and uh, then they have to claim that they are the descendants of this man who's generally recognized as the father or the godfather. And I think movement conservatives... Um, whether they acknowledge it or not, I don't, you know, uh, you know, privately, I don't know, but they, 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 they have to pretend that they're heirs to Burke when they're clearly not. Um, and I think one of the main differences between, I mean, we could, in my book, I go into this in a lot more detail, but I think the real main difference is that conservatives today um, are ideologues. And they adhere to abstract principles that they think are unwavering um, and, and absolute. And 
they're decidedly not pragmatic. They don't think that our political truths are provisional. They don't think that we should arrive at political solutions by drawing on concrete experience. Um, whereas Edmund Burke, and I think thinkers who follow in his, uh, in his path, uh, believe that, you know, politics is not about adhering to abstract principles or creating theoretical blueprints to which you adhere slavishly. And so, you know, I think that's, that, that's the big difference. Now, movement conservatives, uh, I think in that sense have proven themselves to be radical. And as I argue in the book, and I think other critics have made similar claims, that movement conservatives actually have more in common with the Jacobins, right, the French revolutionaries, uh, the, the, those people whom Burke criticized um, so severely than they do with Burke himself, because they're just as inflexible and uncompromising as the Jacobins. Uh, and they're willing to, to even adopt, adopt a, a scorched earth policy, right, to, to realize their, uh, their, their utopian dreams, if you will. Um, and that, to me, just goes completely against what Edmund Burke's thought was about and what he was calling for. And that's why, in a strange way, that today's liberals, or sort of moderate liberals, or, or those who we call liberals, have more in common with Burke. And perhaps they're the true descendants of Burke, not today's conservatives. Now, um, <clears throat> as you've already done a little bit of, mm. uh, the and you include in your title, Pragmatic Conservatism. I wonder if you could just kind of give us the, the real specific definition of, of what you mean when you refer to pragmatic conservatism and how much of this is an interpretation of Burke and how much of this would be something Burke would have um, viewed, viewed in his own writing. Um, mm -hmm. Take us to that, that very specific term, pragmatic conservatism. Sure. So, uh, it, well, first of all, my take... Uh, or my take on what pragmatic, pragmatic conservatism is comes from Burke, an interpretation of Burke. Whether, whether if we resurrected Burke, he would agree completely with my interpretation, I'm, I'm not so sure. But I, I, I think that he would be, um, uh, he'd be fairly comfortable with it. Because um, I, I don't think I'm saying anything about Burke that's that controversial. Um, um, so what I argue in the book is that pragmatic conservatives who, again, uh, in many ways, either consciously or unconsciously, are borrowing from Burke's thought, subscribe to five main tenets. Um, the first one is that uh, uh, pragmatic conservatives believe that um, uh, human nature is, is, is sinful, um, that human beings are, are flawed, uh, they're naturally uh, acquisitive, greedy. Uh, oftentimes aggressive to realize their selfish. Um, some uh, Burkean conservatives like Reinhold Niebuhr, and we can talk about him in a little bit, um, you know, use the language of original sin. Uh, certainly Burkean conservatives who are Christian would use that kind of language. So that they start off with this, this, this view that human nature is flawed, and we can't ex uh, expect um, that any kind of um, education can lead to the perfectibility or the perfection, I should say, of human beings. The, the second tenet, it kind of flows from the first, which is that if human beings are flawed, if they're sinful by nature, um, that, that we need traditions, time-honored and time-tested traditions to, to restrain the darker impulses of human beings. 
And so our reverence for tradition uh, becomes vital to ensure social harmony um, and, 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 to, and to maintain uh, a, a sort of a, a, a stable political order. Uh, the third tenet um, uh, suggests that, yes, we may have a reverence for tradition, but we don't want to adhere to tradition slavishly. Um, that there needs to be an, an acceptance that in a world that's changing, in a dynamic world, we have to accept reform, incremental change. Um, uh, to And in part, the reason why we need reform and change is to preserve those very traditions that we cherish so much. And Burkeans and pragmatic conservatives make this distinction between reform and innovation. Reform is good. Innovation is bad. Innovation is changing too much too quickly. Um, the fourth tenet um, is, is an epistemological claim. And this is where I think pragmatic conservatives sound a lot like pragmatists, like John Dewey or William James. Uh, they, they're wary of absolute truth claims. Um, they're wary of those people who are certain that they know what the truth is. Um, and especially in the world of politics, right? Those people who are so certain about the truth that they're, um, they're willing to engage in bold political experiments or to make apologies for the status quo. Um, those are the people that Burke and conservatives are, are wary of. So they call for an epistemological humility, I guess, because they see truth as provisional. They see truth as grounded in experience, not something that you can arrive at through abstract reasoning. So that's the fourth tenet. And the fifth one, um, it, 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 there's a there's a clear clearly a strong element of elitism uh, among Burkean or, or pragmatic conservatives. Um, they 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 believe that elites, political elites, intellectual elites, cultural elites, uh, serve as the guardians uh, of tradition, and they're the ones who make sure that this fragile edifice of 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 wayward or, or flawed human beings and, and, and flexible traditions and provisional truths doesn't collapse into a heap of chaos and relativism. Um, so those are the five ingredients. And, and so I, I, I saw those as being the main sort of um, ideas uh, to get out of Burke. And then what I saw is that his intellectual heirs in 20th century American political thought and that includes Walter Littman, Reinhold Niebuhr, and Peter Virick, or the three who, whom I profile. They shared these these ideas, and all of them, uh, by the way, uh, grew to see themselves as as Burkeans. So Virick always saw himself as a Burkean. The other two, I think, more evolved towards a Burkeanism as their thought matured. Yeah, and let's let's talk about that. Yeah. You compare Burke to Walter Littman. Yep. Uh, not someone that a casual observer would associate with conservatism, but you show that Lipman himself viewed, viewed himself that way. Um, help us first understand who Lipman was and, and how some of his changing views link him to Burke and, and conservatism. Yeah, I mean, people, it's funny. Walter Lipman was, was, a, was a towering figure um, in, in, his, in his lifetime, but he's... he's largely forgotten. Uh, people kind of remember his name. But he was a, he was a, um, a journalist uh, who came of age in the progressive era, um, uh, you know, went to Harvard University, studied with, uh, uh, with uh, George Santayana and William James, and in fact, he considered um, a career in philosophy 
but decided that he wanted to become a journalist and uh, and a political commentator. Um, and uh, by the 1920s, he uh, he became a well-regarded and well-known political columnist. And from the 1920s until he retired in the late 60s, uh, he was he was a political columnist whose articles uh, were being read, uh, you know, throughout the country. Um, uh, and so he, of course, through much of his career, was known as a as part of the liberal establishment. Um, uh, he he believed in sort of modest expansions of of the welfare state. He for the most part, supported the New Deal, although there are times when he was critical of it, but he was certainly uh, supportive of an active government um, to provide economic security. Um, he was also kind of considered a realist in terms of foreign policy. Um, he was certainly not an isolationist. He thought uh, America should use its its uh, military power and economic power abroad to uh, protect its interests. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, you know, we think of him as a, as a liberal um, who at the end of his career opposed the Vietnam War, much to the sh- chagrin of, of Lyndon Johnson. Um, and, you know, and again, someone who supported the welfare state. Um, and so on the surface, why would we call him a conservative, right? I mean, certainly um, his contemporaries for the, didn't see him as a conservative, but at the end of his career... You know, I kind of start off the chapter talking about this at the end of his career. In fact, he was retired and he was being interviewed for an article that I think was published in the New Republic. He said, hey, you know, I, I, I see myself as, as, as a Burkean conservative, and I think I've always been a Burkean conservative. I'm not a William F. Buckley conservative, um, but I think I, I'm a Burkean conservative. And so, you know, essentially what I do in the, in the, in the, in the Littman chapter is I, I suggest that that Littman got himself right, that his self-evaluation was pretty much spot on, um, despite the appearance of being a liberal. And of course, by the way, this speaks to a larger point that, that I make about Burkean conservatism. It's not an ideology. It's more of an intellectual disposition. So therefore, you can be a conservative and be a liberal at the same time, that those are categories that are not uh, they're mutually exclusive. Um, and, and in fact, you can even have a conservative uh, philosophical temperament and gravitate to socialist uh, uh, socialist solutions if you think that socialist policies may serve to conserve traditions and conserve those institutions that you think are essential um, for the social and political order. And so there's this kind of flexibility that a Burkean conservative uh, should have, and I think that Littman embodies that because he really did change his views uh, over time um, in response to uh, the problems that America faced. And you know, he was he was a he had a long and distinguished career, and so you know, he started writing as a young man before World War One started, and finished his career when Vietnam when the Vietnam War was at its sort of darkest period. And um, you know, I. It, to me, he really embodied the, this kind of this kind of Burkean conservative conservatism, and and like Burke, by the way, he wasn't just a thinker and a writer, but he was some somebody who was responding to the events of his time, not you know not just somebody uh, hiding in the ivory tower. And I and I think that that's true of of all of the figures that I that I focus on here. Um, the Burkean conservative is, or the pragmatic conservative is, is practical, is grounded in what's going on in the real world. 
Yeah, as you no- have noted, you you also uh, uh, compare Burke to to Niebuhr and and to uh, Peter uh, Bierich, mm-hmm. um, which which um, I think you know uh, makes the book very interesting in 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 so many different ways. But in the interest of time, I wonder if we can end our conversation just with a, a bit of a reflection about what you think your findings and and this this book say about our our current moment. Uh-huh. Um, is there a, any way to 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 use what you discovered, what you're arguing in this book, to make sense of of our our current political moment, where uh, Republican Party uh, is is on the ascent, uh, is is conservatism as well, is pragmatic conservatism on the ascent? Um, just briefly, maybe you can sure. offer us some thoughts on that. Well, you know, I, I think that the Trump victory suggests that it's not. I mean, it, I, I don't know if Trump is a conservative by any definition. He's certainly not a Burkean conservative. conservative, And, and I don't think he fully fits the, the mold of, of uh, movement conservatism either. Um, and so it's hard to know what's, what's going to happen. But, but, I, but, I, but I do think that, that, that uh, movement conservatism, Trump, or this kind of uh, populist conservatism, that these two brands um, are fly in the face of, of, of Burkean conservatism. Um, uh, you know, again, it's, it's radical. There's a, they're, they're, they, they have no, uh, you see Trump, he has no respect for tradition. He has no respect for the facts. He has no respect for, for intellectuals. He has no respect for established institutions. Um, and uh, the establishment generally, right? Whereas I think Burkean or pragmatic conservatives do have a respect for the establishment and are wary of, of discarding, uh, you know, established institutions and traditions wholesale, and he's eager to do it. Um, but perhaps the Trump moment will create an opportunity for a more responsible conservatism to emerge. Um, but, you know, in the end, if, if, if you ask, is there, a, is there a vibrant Burkean conservatism? I mean, I guess I could say yes, in, to, the, to the extent that it exists uh, among the liberal establishment. The problem is, is that not many people are acknowledging the liberal establishment as conservative. But I think that we should. Um, and, you know, I'm not the only one to, to suggest this. I mean, even... Even Arthur Schlesinger, Adlai Stevens, Stevenson, these sort of these notable liberal establishment figures of, from the middle to the sort of late 20th century saw a, a, an element of Burkean conservatism and, and what they represented. And, um, you know, I part of what I'm hoping to do here in the book is to just kind of, you know, give the readers uh, a view of a... Um, of a sort of a, a forgotten uh, tradition in American political thought and say, here, here are the real Burkean conservatives and then throw in stark into stark relief movement conservatism and show really just how radical it is and how out of step it is with the history of Western political thought. Um, and, 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 and that and that's what I'm trying to do with the book. And, and, and hopefully if, if people pick it up, they'll be uh, and read it, they'll be persuaded. Yeah, I, I, the book is so interesting. And the title is Pragmatic Conservatism, uh, Edmund Burke and His American Heirs. Uh, Robert Lacey is the author. Palgrave Macmillan is the publisher. 
Uh, Bob, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Steve.